All right, I wanted to welcome back Erica L. Satifka. Uh, we're continuing our discussion. Uh, the first segment is episode seven. If you take a look at that, you can learn all about her background and what she writes. This segment is going to be a little bit more, uh, how should we say, delicate. So right now in the cultural zeitgeist, there's there's a lot of deplatforming based on speech, um, whether or not you, you consider it violence or not. And there's there's you know, there's a lot of debate and there's a lot of um, contention in in that area. So Erica and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, you know where where we see it today, uh, where we see it going, and you know what what things um, you know writers can do and, and content creators can do to mitigate some of these things. If 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 we you know even agree that that's Okay, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a competing worldview that says um, it's okay to cancel certain things, and 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 in many cases there there may be there might be an argument for it, but we're going to talk a little bit about um, when we both think this started, why why it's happening, and and how we get out of it. So, Erica, you, we were initially at least in the last segment we talked a little bit about COVID and and your experience with COVID. How do you know, is this something that kind of came before, um, sort of sprouted up during COVID, or is this something that you think was accentuated or amplified by the COVID experience? I mean, it's always kind of existed, the whole canceling, uh, you know, people not thinking free speech is important. Uh, you know, uh, if you go back even into like the nineties, there's can attempted cancellations. The moral majority, uh, the right, the right, the right did it. Right? Moral majority, the, moral majority. The, the, um, right. the, the tipper gore, like we're going to yep. slap things all over music. And back then um, the canceling attempts came pretty much exclusively from the right, whether it was a Democrat labeled right or a Republican labeled right, because like tipper gore is one of the biggest ones, but she's a social conservative. Um, and it tended and, to come uh, from come from the the religious religious right mm -hmm. particularly. Oh, and then the satanic panic stuff. All yeah, that. yeah, I was exactly. I was thinking the same thing. And then and then you get into the aughts, and then it's uh, the um, you know you, they were always trying to like uh, like the whole jixty chicks thing. The whole you can't say anything bad about like you know the United States government. You can't do you know basically a lot of uh, uh, canceling around that. Um, but the first time I think I, you know, really saw a huge thing. I get, I'm sure there were other, you know, um, uh, scattered stories. But the first one I remember being a big, like, blunder for the left was the um, the Charlie Hebdo shootings in 2015, uh, where um, a bunch of uh, it, it, Charlie Hebdo is a, you know, French periodical that they publish a lot of cartoons that are. Uh, political and often tasteless and you know they published one of I think it was Mo um, the, the prophet Muhammad with his head is like a bomb uh, and a bunch of terrorists went in and shot up uh, all the writers and the editors and everybody at the office and the, that was the first time I really saw a lot of people kind of hedging with like well you know they didn't deserve it but or saying, you know, those cartoons were tasteless, but, and it's like, there's like a dozen dead people here. This is not a, you know, it's like, you know, there's nothing that people can do. Their words are never, I 
take the, you know, strong at this point in history thing that words are not violence, words are just words, and violence is violence. And there's, there's clearly only one side committing violence there. Um, so that's where I really feel like a lot of this began. And, uh, uh, you know, and it, it feels like it's just kind of gotten worse since then. And Trump also threw a lot on the fire um, because it got to be a point where, like, either if you're a pro-Trump or anti-Trump, there were people trying to say there were, um, you know, there were people trying to say like, oh, well, you know, we, you know, we can't show like the, the, you know, the State of the Union address because it's violence to show Trump. And it's like, he's the president. You kind of have to show, don't you want to know what he's thinking? And on the other hand, you had Trump, like kind of, um, there was that one thing where Kathy Griffin had a very uh, graphic thing of Trump mm -hmm. being um, beheaded. And um, I know you already know all this, but in case anybody doesn't. Yeah, and, this has been this Trump White rich. House was like, you know, oh, you, you this is horrible. You can't do this. And it's like, this is just, this is what people do to like people in power. This is how people talk about things. This is like, you know, meme culture. This is goes beyond, it, it's, it's just, and and people were just getting really, really hepped up about it. And then COVID hit and then everything just completely exploded. <laughs> yeah, so it's a gradual process and you know, you can't really even, you know, that's where I kind of point at the, cause you know, before that it was like, sure, like conservatives are going to, you know, hedge and be like, oh, well, you know, that's, this isn't really a big deal or, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I never ex really expected it from the left, uh, other than like maybe some random, like, you know, Maoists, but like, who really talks to Maoists kind of thing. Yeah, I think, I think it goes, so I agree with everything you're saying about kind of when it, it really heightened. I think in terms of the infrastructure and the technology, um, that act, it kind of acted as an accelerant to all this. And I think mm -hmm. if you go back to kind of the early nineties, it all, it all started with the internet in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the reason that's important is what the, you know, before that time, so pre-internet for all the, all the kiddos who weren't born yet, everybody had more or less a pretty confined and sanitized flow of information right? You had kind of the three major networks. You had CNN. Um, you, I think Fox probably started in the 90s, I think, right? I so think kind of- did, but I don't think they were really had a strong conservative bent. And then they also weren't just that popular yet. Because I, I don't think we got Fox News until like, like 99 or something. Yeah, you had like Fox had like 21 Jump Street, right? It made like Johnny Depp, mm -hmm. <laughs> Depp like a, a superstar. So- you, you kind of have, and then CNN was actually relatively new too. It was a new concept, maybe late eighties with Ted Turner. And it was the, this network, just like MTV, where they used to only play music. You have, you only play, you know, news 24, 24, seven. So, you know, at the beginning of that, there was still a very um, homogenous, you know, information flow for, for Americans. And there might've been, you know, some deviation left and right, and how that was skewed. So you, you, know, you saw the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal sort of thing, but it was still relatively regulated. What the internet effectively did was open it up completely to, to different sources of information and different views. So that you kind of starts to take you through the 90s and then you, 
uh, it, it was a, when did a Drudge Report kind of come out? I think that might have been one of the first. That was like, I think that I was in college, so like early aughts. I remember that as like 2001 or something when that was a big deal. Yeah, so I think that was kind of the beginning of of alternate media. And I think at the same time, you have the Fox News effect where Fox did extremely well by catering to you know kind of the the right the, or the conservative viewpoint and skewing in that direction a little bit more which started to take market share away from competitors i think you know msnbc kind of started to to rise at that point and then i think when you had the when 911 kind of briefly brought the country together but also greatly restricted exactly what you're talking about right if you were like a um Barbara Lee, right in in Berkeley, I think, was absolutely ostracized for saying like maybe maybe we shouldn't be looking for somebody to punch right away. Maybe we should be, um, you know, trying to figure that out. And then and then um, you know, I think I think um, I remember they let the bodies hit the floor. That song, they took it off the radio, right, mm-hmm. because of the trauma and things like that. So so there were definitely threads that were starting to. To... And I remember for a while you couldn't show the um, Twin Towers like they, I think I think they can't they um, didn't show one of the episodes of The Simpsons for a while because there's like a prominent view of like the Twin Towers, and you you had to kind of like you know not show that anymore. It was in the Sopranos intro too, mm-hmm. right? Same same sort of thing. So so the country was kind of traumatized for that. And the same time you have like the Patriot Act, which you know gives the government unprecedented authority to take. Um, uh, you know, vacuum up information and things like that. So we we kind of get through that where there's there's certainly some some censorship, but it's not it hasn't gotten to the kind of the outrageous point yet. Then we you know invade Iraq, um, and then the media kind of provides information that suits the narrative that generates ratings because you have that Fox News effect. Mm-hmm. That starts to happen, and and they start to do things that, um, you know, initially kind of helped gin up gin up the kind of a war hysteria and things like that, and then when in Iraq the worst, you know, and it was the kind of near an election, they you know they started to show kind of the the opposite footage. So, and this is going to be controversial what I'm going to say, so I don't you don't have to. Um, what what personally drives me nuts is that even to this day and this is part of the thread part of the thread like part of like all of this is contributing to the fact that the media is getting is getting i don't know more and more sloppy or more and more narrative driven rather than fact based and then you have the internet with it with alternate alternate information and people are you know starting to not trust that source of information at the same time we talked about google uh, or you know Google, I think went public in 2003, and the algorithm with Google is you know they make their money through ads, and in order to kind of keep your eyeballs on the page, your search results are going to be slightly different, and they're going to these algorithms are going to learn, and the algorithms are going to cater to the things that you want to see and hear. So you already kind of germinated a seed which started to spread and diverge portions of the population, which were increasingly less likely to be looking at these news sources or looking at these news sources that were also diverging for, for, you know, views. So where was I going with this? 
trying to, it, oh, no. it's very the, complex. The internet is, has been a massively destabilizing event in pretty much, if there are still humans in like a thousand years um, and we still like have the ability to know what the internet was or we still use it, I don't know what people are doing in a thousand years, but um, uh, uh, we are going to see the internet as being a mixed bag at best kind of thing because it's going to be, because yes, I, I totally agree that it, the way that they, because it's all about money. It's like all about, um, you know, it's not even about ideology. It's not about anything specific. All of the news agencies would turn around tomorrow and support different narratives if they thought that would bring them more cash. Um, you'll see it after the next election. If the next election kind of goes the way a lot of us believe is going to go, um, you're going to see a lot of narratives change within 24 hours. And it's just, once I think living through the pandemic just showed me just how fake the media is. I mean, I always kind of knew it, even back when I was like, you know, college age leftist, dude, learning things about like how the media operates. It's like, no, it's it's even worse than that now. Oh, it's so so. Now I remember what I was going to say. It's it's look. It's going to be it's going to be controversial, but it's 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 true. So when the narrative turned in the in the Iraq War, because you know U.S. forces hadn't found any weapons of mass destruction yet, uh, that became that became the story forever. But in 2014, the New York Times, uh, you know, in October of 2014, the New York Times, um, you know, reported that in kind of 2006, something like that. Um, and the, the name of the article is the seek it's called the secret casualties of the Iraq war or something like that. And what it showed is that we, we did find chemical weapons in Iraq. Now, um, not active programs, right? So if somebody says that Saddam had never had or you know didn't have active programs when we invaded, that would be a correct statement. He didn't have a nuclear program when we invaded. That's a correct statement. But if you listen to NPR today, like they will say in one breath that we never found weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And we absolutely found in that article in particular, there's 2,400 sarin um, uh, you know, sar tipped warheads and things like that. But um, you know, the point is, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not debating whether or not it was right to go into the war or anything like that. But my only point here is that once, once that narrative is cemented, it's very difficult to change or look at. And even if you read the New York Times article, it's very apologetic and like, well, these are old weapons. They were degraded. They weren't. But I guarantee you, know, I guarantee you if you ask that reporter, here's one teaspoon from that Sarin Warhead. Why don't you dip, dip your finger in and tell me what happens, <laughs> right? And I'd be like, no, 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 no. So there were a lot of people in the military, particularly um, explosive ordnance disposal people who were finding this stuff. And they're like, that's just not, like, that's not even, that's not true. It's not true. Um, I, I worked at a controversial company um, that was in the news constantly. And, you know, I was I was in an event that the media reported on. I was ten feet away from what happened, and the way that they characterized it, like it was just completely untrue. And once you see enough about that, if you know if there are things you're personally involved in, and they're and they're not getting like the simple things right there, what else aren't they getting right? And I think this is kind of you know something that you know has been pervasive throughout. And, and at the end of the day, I don't think this is anything new in terms of how elites. Um, you know, report news and and disseminate information to the population. It's just that with the democracy, the democratization of the information from the internet, it just it made it much 
much more difficult for those elites to constrain that narrative that they wanted to, to tell. And, 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 you know, no, make no mistake. There's a book I read by an Iraqi nuclear scientist. A uh, guy's name is Kadir Hamza and Western intelligence agencies were always looking for him. So one technique that they would use is at least one technique that he specifically mentions in, and, and he doesn't know for sure if they did this, but typically what, if you, if you want to find somebody you're looking for, you call a reporter and, you know, that reporter you develop a relationship with, you might give them, you know, five exclusive things. And then, you know, the sixth thing, like, just, just report this. It's not really, just put it out there. This is what we think. And that, that report will be something like Kadir Hamza's dead. And if you see your name in the news and it says you're dead, what do you do? You reach out to every relative. No, no, no. I'm still here. I'm in Libya right now. I'm right here. <laughs> Right. And then, you know, you get droned. So there's there's certainly a relationship between intelligence, Western intelligence agencies and the media, uh, you know, that and particularly this generation of journalists, they're more apt. Uh, I think back when back in the day when we were when we were uh, were much younger, right? Um, there was a little bit more scrutiny, right? There were there was more money for investigative journalism. And now it's just like, well, the CIA and FBI said that this happened, so what happened? And there's really there's much less of a critical eye on, you know, getting multiple sources, um, not saying not saying things as definitive, but just saying so and so reported X. So and so, however, said Y, and not saying, you know, like the Russians are really bad right now, right? Like injecting opinion into the articles. It's like a whole generation of, and I don't necessarily know if it's their fault. It's just that that's how they get ratings. That's how they, um, mm -hmm. so, if you, so that, if you need the click. yeah, and, and that's, that's part of the story. So we get back to this Google thing. You, ex, you accelerate it when you get to Facebook and people curate their own social networks and, and at the same time, and I keep adding a national security element to it, but that's it's just unfortunately the way I look at the world. So, bear, you know, bear with me, audience, if you're um, – but it also in, – in, in, in a world where the U.S. is you know, the, the, the preeminent peer competitor when it comes from a, from a military capability. You know, our politicians are, are, are pretty incompetent, but our military is not, right? They'll – even even in Afghanistan and Iraq, they acquitted themselves extremely well. It's just you know when you when you when you tell when you get into when you're a politico and you get into the details and you tell people that they can only have 2,500 troops, they're going to have to close the most obvious air base that you would keep open like Bagram because you need more than that. Like you know, think, you know things like that. But they since kind of the you know U.S. competitors like Russia and China acknowledge that they've amped up their asymmetric um, you know, capabilities. So what does that mean? Well, you have things like the Internet Research Agency. So you have this democratization of information. You have journalists who are trying to get clicks. You have a population that's increasingly diverging from each other through self-selection and, and dopamine hits. And you have different sources of information. And then you have kind of Russian and Chinese trolls that are trying to exacerbate 
the divisions, you know, among the U.S. And and to this day, like people will say, oh, Putin wanted Trump to win. I don't. He didn't care who won. All he cared about was that whoever won, it would be as divisive as possible for mm-hmm. the U.S. population. And you know, he he succeeded, but he's playing his hand well. So you have all these things. And there's even a book about it by Eli Pariser. It was written in uh, 2012. It's called The Filter Bubble. And it talks about this this effect. So that's kind of what I think led to kind of the the Charlie Hebdo effect. Then COVID came. 